you are my master. So it's a, it's a father and the child doesn't know she's about to embark on probably the greatest adventure of her life, for her life. Um, so we are going to, Rich asked me, start. we're going to start a, like a little three-part series here on fear. So he said, hey, can you talk on this day and can you Well, I first said no fear because fear is something I wrestle with. Fear is something I've wrestled with since I was a child. I'm well acquainted with fear. In fact, I don't really want to talk about fear because I don't like it. And I don't really want to study fear because kind of fear kind of tackled, it sneaks around your flank. It's like blocking someone at Instagram and they change accounts. <laughs> it's like the creepy guy, you know? It's like you block it and then suddenly somebody with a different name and a different face pops up and it's like, wait a second, I thought, I thought we, we took care of you. But that's the way that fear is for some of us more than others. For some of us, we might not struggle with it. For some of us, it might be fear of, you know, physical well-being. For some of us, it might be fear of people fear of man, fear of security. And certainly, in the last few years, we have all gotten a fair dose of fear. Certainly, if you watch TV, if you're on social media, if you do any of that, you know that fear sells. We all know fear sells, because it's such a prevalent emotion. So I thought today, instead of focusing on fear, let's focus on courage. Let's talk about what courage is, because I think we're probably pretty well acquainted with fear. And about courage than the book of Daniel. Daniel is where I have been reading and rereading and rereading and rereading probably for the last two years. So we're going to Can you hear me? Okay. In the third year of the reign, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, is it not working? Hello? Is this better? Okay. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So Jerusalem was basically sacked by Babylon. They're a foreign kingdom with no respect for the God of Jerusalem, with hatred to the true God, the God of the Jews. So the Jewish people watch their sacred vessels, their chalices, their dishes, get taken from the temple of their God, the house of their God, and taken away to this foreign land. But not only that, the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So 
Those might not be the correct pronunciation, but that's what we used in BBS, so that's what I'm using. <laughs> so let's just imagine for a moment Daniel. Now, most historians believe that, that Daniel and his friends were probably between 15 and 18 years old. So imagine you're a 15-year-old boy, and you watch your whole world fall apart. Everything you've seen, everything you've known, it's like the rug gets ripped out from under you. And not only that, you happen to be really good looking and smart. So you get to get taken away with the other sort of top of society in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is about 900 miles from Babylon. So imagine Daniel watching on the horizon his home and what he's known disappear, going into some unknown place against his will. Now, don't think, though, Babylon wasn't enticing. And this is the part we can't forget, because they're not going to some city of, you know, destitute mud huts. Now, there probably was that, too. But Babylon was actually the peak of its civilization. It was a very enticing city. There was good food. There were, um, there were probably beautiful women. There were good drinks. I mean, it was very enticing. And he was going to be treated to three years of intentional training to talk like the Babylonians, to think like the Babylonians, to worship like the Babylonians. So everything that he had known is called into question. God that he knew is called into question in a very enticing culture. And it was sort of the promise of advancement. So if you Daniel, well, then you can be promoted, and you can be one of the king's guys, right? So let's talk about courage. Karen Swallow Pryor, she's an author, and I like the way that she defines courage. She defines it as the habit that enables a person to face difficulties well. The habit that enables a person to face difficulties well. Now notice, there's no mention of fear in that definition. There's no mention of lack of fear. Simply a habit that, that enables us to face difficulties well. And the word courage comes from the Latin word core or heart. And that word meant where your desires are seated. So where our desires are seated is the root of courage. What does that mean? Well, courage is basically rightly ordered desire. It's putting things in the right order. So courage takes fear or something else and says, how do I make it most important here? And so another from her, from her chapter on courage, courage requires putting a greater good before a lesser good. Courage is getting your heart in the right place at the right time despite obstacles. So courage doesn't mean that we don't experience fear. In fact, the emotion of fear can be a tool. We all know this, right? Because fear is an awareness of a vulnerability or a potential loss. When we don't have healthy fear of dangerous situations, it's no good. Ask me. I raise a child right now. I am raising a child who doesn't fear of dangerous situations. And we have spent the greater part of nine years keeping her alive. Truthfully, it's a joke, but it's actually not a joke. Because, uh, you know, it's like, oh, shall I climb on that swing set and jump off? That one, now I should climb on the railing of the swing set and jump off. Okay, now I should 
snap in my Yeah, you did. Because you should have had more fear about jumping off a high place. Or she'll find looking dog at the dog park and think that they just like want to lick her face. It's like, no, you should be a um, right? So we have fears which actually drive rational bear in the woods, get away from the bear, right? But we have fears like I'll never, ever, ever, ever go hiking in a forest in Kansas because I might see a bear. That's irrational. That's a fear of bears, but it's an irrational choice. We haven't rightly ordered our desires there. Probably not worth not hiking just for that. Courage is a decision about how to respond to a situation. Anyone ever in here? We laugh about it because you are quite literally scared for your life. Quite literally, depending on the teenager. But you have to make a decision. Shall I drive this child around for the rest of our lives? Or should they learn how to drive? And there's going to be some fear involved in that decision on your part. And, you know, it, it sort of balances back and forth. These are decisions that we make, and that's a small, it's a, kind of a small decision, kind of a funny decision, but it is a decision of courage because you're rightly ordering your desires. So back So Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food because, remember, they were going to eat a certain diet. They were which they were sort of being indoctrinated. They were being indoctrinated. That was, the, that was the goal. So Daniel resolved he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youth who are of your own age. So you would endanger my head with the king because these were the days where if you looked at the king wrong, you know, you die in probably a terrible way. The da then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So Daniel resolved, notice that word at the very beginning, Daniel made a decision. He resolved he would not defile himself with the king's food. And what I find interesting is we don't really know what that conversation went like with Daniel and his friends, but I feel like I can probably relate to the friends a little better. Sometimes it takes me a little longer to decide, and I like have to hear somebody kind of, hey, guys, this is what we should do, and you kind of wonder if one of them was like, well, maybe we just like, you know, chew it up and spit it into a napkin, and they'll never know we're not eating the food. I mean, you got to imagine that there took some courage here because they're in this unknown land. They don't know what happens. If you go to this guy and say, hey, we're not eating your food, they don't really know the rules here, but they know they're probably not very good. So it takes some courage for Daniel to decide to do this. But why? Why does he decide to do this? You know, courage is not the same thing as bravery or boldness. It's not just taking a stand. There's justice and goodness attached to courage. There's a purpose for taking this risk. 
There is a greater good that's more important than a lesser good. Courage, Karen Swallow-Parr says, courage is not measured by the risk it entails, but by the good it preserves. So why make this choice? You know, it's not the same thing as just, you know, getting on Instagram and just like, I'm going to just say this because I feel good about being bold. It's not really the same thing. There's a purpose and there's a goodness attached to this decision. So why Daniel and his friends decide? What, what decision is being made here? Well, really, it's in a decision to align their hearts with God. They decide we are going to align our hearts with God. And we get a clue here because did you notice in the first section that their names were changed? So their names were changed, and this was intentional. Remember the indoctrination. Daniel's name meant God is my judge. It was changed to Belteshazzar, which is Bel will provide. False God. Hananiah went from Yahweh has been gracious to Shadrach, inspired of Aku. Mishael went from who is what God is to Meshach, belonging to Aku. And Azariah went from Yahweh has helped me to Abednego, or servant of Nego. And what was going on was they were being told in action, in word, in names, you no longer belong to the one true God that you have served. You belong to our gods now and our culture. And actually, Nebuchadnezzar is the best god. Because at that time, kings were gods in their own minds. And so the meat that they were being offered was most likely sacrificed to the other gods first. So they were being offered meat, sort of, that had been used to worship false gods. And they were being told, listen, you're under these ways now, and your God can't help you here. So Daniel committed to keep his heart pure before God. And his friends followed. He prayed, he fasted from things that would misalign his heart, anything that would take his eyes off the true God. And I love, because the name Daniel, remember it means God is my judge. And I think he was very aware of that. Because Nebuchadnezzar was not his judge. His friends were not his judge. God was his judge, and he knew that. So he gets his heart in the right place at the right time. I hope one of my kids didn't pull the the thing in the other room. What should we do? Aja's going to check. There's an exit right here if we hear that we need to get out of here. Do we need to leave? All right. Rich ran downstairs to double check at the front and get desk since often these are false alarms. So let's just 
take like two minutes and wait, and then I'll, I'm going to run down to you and see. If you want to go, now, I'm not telling you not to go. Yeah. Okay, false alarm. Take courage, it's a false alarm. Okay, so we were talking about Daniel aligning his heart, and um, I think there is a lot of aligning going on these days. There's lots of people wanting us to be in one camp or another, align with a certain view, align with a certain movement, right? But the truth is that we all are going to have to wrestle through some difficult issues. We're going to have to wrestle through some difficult issues in our culture. We're going to have to sort through many, many voices to find what is good and right and true. And we're going to have to intentionally align our hearts with God and his word so that when we are called to a place of courage that we're ready and we know which way, to, which way to decide, really. So the best way to do that is to commit to his ways first, right? And so what happens to our friend Daniel? Well, we'll go back one. Did I skip? Yep, this one. So he listened to them in this matter. So we're talking about the eunuch. And this is after Daniel and his friends um, agreed to not eat the food. And he tested them. So he listened to them in this matter. And he tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So God came through for him and his friends. They made a decision. They had the courage to say, we will not eat your food. And God came through. And I think that this story is important because it shows us how Daniel practices courage. Maybe 
Not all of us are born with a great dose of courage, but maybe we can make one small choice after another. And as we make courageous decisions, we begin to see a pattern in our life, right? This is great hope for those of us who feel like we deal with fear. This gives us great hope because as we align our hearts with God, we can practice getting our hearts in the right place at the right time. And we see this pattern emerge. So I wish we could cover all of the book of Daniel, and you should really go read it. If you haven't read it in a while, I really encourage you. It's not a very long book. Go and read it because what you're going to see, I'm going to cover a few of the highlights over this. So next, after we see Daniel do this and we see that God comes through, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, has a dream. He wants an interpretation, but he doesn't want his wise men to give him the interpretation without first telling him the dream. He's on to them. He knows if he tells them the dream, all they have to do is like, oh, such and such symbolizes such and such, oh, great king, and give him sort of a faulty faulty. A faulty interpretation. So he says, hey, if you can interpret my dream, you can tell me what my dream is. And when they couldn't, he said, just kill them all. (laughs) Because that's the way it worked then. So just kill them all. So that included Daniel and his friends. So they came to Daniel and his friends, and they're like, hey, you, you know, it's time for you. Your execution's here. And Daniel goes, why? I don't, I don't understand. So they tell Daniel the story. So Daniel, who has aligned his heart with God and has decided to take courageous steps, goes to the king and says, King, could you give me a little time? I think I can do this for you. And so he goes home, and then he goes to his friends, and he says, Okay, guys, pray really hard. Because we're either going to die today or tomorrow if this doesn't work, right? So they pray really hard, and God gives him a vision of the dream and what it means. And he shows up to Nebuchadnezzar the next day, And he tells them what the dream means, and all their lives are spared. Then his friends don't worship Nebuchadnezzar. It's like one thing after another. Then Nebuchadnezzar again says, I'm God. His friends say, we're not going to bow down to you. They get thrown into a furnace. God saves their life. Then we're back to Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. Daniel knows the interpretation. It's bad news for the king. But again, pattern of courage. He shows up to the king. He tells him the truth, and the dream comes true. So we see this happening over and over. Then Nebuchadnezzar's son becomes king. He thinks it's a good idea to take all those chalices from the house of God that they had taken out of Jerusalem, pull them out at a big drunken party, and toast their false gods with them. He thinks this is a great idea. So they're all drunk and toasting their false gods, and all of a sudden this disembodied hand comes and writes something on the wall, which nobody knows what it means. Now, if you're raised in in a rural community, You might know what it's like when a bunch of teenagers are out partying in the country, and all of a sudden, somebody sees the lights coming down the road. Sort of the feeling that you get, they all go quiet. The Bible says that he goes pale as he sees this hand like, we are so busted. We are so busted. Everybody's scared. Guess who can read the wall? Daniel. They go get Daniel, who hasn't been around for a while, said, hey, come read the wall. Finally, we get to Daniel in the lion's den. Once again, Daniel won't worship anybody but the true God. He's thrown into the lion's den, and God saves him. And I love that this, this, the next verse right here, so when they come and they tell Daniel, hey, listen, anyone who's caught worshiping, anyone but the king, who's the third king by now, anyone who's caught worshiping, anyone but this king is going to be thrown to the lions. And so what does Daniel do? Daniel makes a decision. 
And the Bible says when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, opened toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. As he had done previously. These three men came to agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. And we know the story. He gets, he's caught. He gets thrown into the lion's den, but he survives, much to his happiness and actually the king's happiness. But what this shows us is that Daniel, at that point in his life, he had seen lots of kings. He had seen lots of cultural changes, but he knew the main thing. And the main thing hadn't changed. And so at this point, we're thinking, hey, Daniel's the hero, right? Daniel's courageous. But I think that Daniel would disagree if he were standing here with us today. I think that Daniel would say that God is more faithful than we'll ever be. That God is more faithful than we'll ever be. God calls us to courage. He calls us to stand up when he's asking us to. But he is the main story of the book of Daniel. And if you read it, you will see that every time he performs a miracle, the king goes, okay, never mind, your God is God. I was wrong. And they sing God's praises. Because every time Daniel makes a decision to get his heart in the right place, God comes through for him. God comes through for him every single time. And it's not just about Daniel. And I love what Daniel says. This is the night after the first, remember the first interpretation when Nebuchadnezzar had set them to the execution? And Daniel went home and prayed and said, God, you have to show me this. You have to show me the dream. And you have to show me what it means. And this is what Daniel prays to God after he gets the interpretation and the dream. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might. And have, made, have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. We all need to repeat this every day because we can see that God gives wisdom and might. And God changes times and seasons. The seasons and times that we are living in are within the providential hand of God. We don't have to doubt that. And Daniel felt that in his heart. He knew deeply in his heart. Listen, I've seen my home taken away. I've seen three kings claim their God. I've seen it all. But I know, I know because I see from a different perspective who's actually running the show. Who actually has the power. He wasn't looking at the world from an earthly perspective. He knew who the real king was and he knew how had to come first in his heart. And he knew the decisions that he had to make, no matter the earthly consequences. No matter the earthly consequences. And when it comes to Daniel and his friends, God promotes them. He supplies their needs. And he's working wonders for them. You know, Daniel gives us an example, but he really isn't the main point. The main point is that we serve the same God that Daniel served. 
He hasn't changed. Times and seasons have changed. Technology's here. Social media's here. Things look different, but it's the same God, and we're up against some of the same things that Daniel was up against. We are up against fear and intimidation and anything that comes at us that tells us that you are doing it all wrong. Serving the one true God is all wrong. And your God is not relevant. And your God does not have a place here. And there are other things that you should be spending your time and energy and money on. And don't you dare tell me otherwise because I'm going to intimidate you into believing that what you believe is wrong. We're all up against that in some way or another. Some form or another. Not at all at the same time. We're not all, you know, being thrown into lion's dens. But fear isn't rational. Fear makes us feel like we are. Oh my gosh, someone said something mean on social media. Oh, I'm so afraid. That's real. It sounds funny, but it's real. And so God is asking us to keep our hearts in the right place at the right time. This isn't just about our own personal journey. It wasn't about Daniel's own spiritual personal journey. Sure, yeah, God used that. But there were greater things. Daniel was putting a greater good above a lesser good. He was giving, he was laying his life down in courage to see God's ways, God's ways really influence the culture around him. Now, this isn't just about, you know, this is a sort of moral courage that I think that God is calling all of us in some ways to build and to get real comfortable with. This sort of moral courage to know, hey, I can have the courage to make a, a, a decision for God even when it feels like there's pressure or fear that I shouldn't be. I can make a decision to live differently than the culture. I can make a decision to honor the covenant of marriage, to raise my children to love and serve God. How I make a decision about living as a single person. I can make decisions when, I'm, when I feel sort of fear of being misunderstood or like, oh, you're so, such an outcast. Those are real fears. But I can make that decision to live differently. I can make decisions about how, what I will value, how I'll spend my time. How do I live out God's truth in a job that's in a broken or corrupt system? And I'm afraid to say anything ever. I'm very afraid. God can give you the wisdom and the courage of when to speak. Remember, it's not boldness. It's courage. It's attached to a greater good. When is God and where is God calling you to speak? How do I navigate professors who openly disparage God in a classroom? These things are happening. We know that. How do I navigate that? That's a hard issue. And if you're like me, man, I used to sit in class. It's like even to answer with the right answer, I felt a little afraid, honestly. (laughs) But to say something that stands up for the truth of God, that's a real thing. And God really sees it. How do I walk my child through a difficult season? How do I stand with a child who's struggling and maybe nobody sees, but our family sees? How do I do that? With courage. God wants us to have courage to face our decisions well. This doesn't mean perfectly. The perfect part is his. The perfect part is his. But how can I make decisions and align my heart in a way that honors God? And the good news is that as we cultivate courage, I believe that God grows it in our hearts. 
as we choose not to cultivate fear, but we cultivate courage and we seek and we align our hearts with him, he comes and he meets us in those decisions. So I'm going to just pray for us, um, for courage and for our hearts. Lord, we thank you. God, we thank you that you are the same God who walked alongside Daniel. God, in all the positions that you placed him in, in all the crazy circumstances that he lived through, God, you walked alongside of him, God, and you upheld him for the purposes for which he was created. God, I pray for every person here, Father. God, I pray that they would hear, um, God, hear your voice and your, your heart for them. That they do not have to have mass, that fear does not have to be their master, and that as they align their hearts to you, that they could have dis- they could have the courage to make decisions, God, which which in some way place them at risk, Father. But the greater the good, the be- the greater good is worth it, Father. God, we ask that every person here, that whatever their sphere, their school, their, their, their family, their job, that whatever they're up against, whenever they feel that fear creep in, that, God, you could remind them, Father, that you are the same God. You are the same God that closed the mouths of lions. And that courage matters, God, and that you care for them. We love you and we praise you and we thank you that you see all and you know all. We love you. Amen.